Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And a very good morning all across South Texas in the Hill Country in San Antonio and wherever you might be listening on the internet. It's uh, it's summer out there all right, but I tell you, if you get up early, there's a nice breeze early this morning. Temperature wasn't too bad. It's going to be a warm afternoon, though, and so I hope uh, you'll just take the radio out in the garden with you or the telephone or whatever and uh, get it done before it just turns into that typical sweltering summer afternoon. We're here for the next three hours to talk about what's going on in your garden or nature or whatever you like, and uh, I think we have one line left open if you want to grab it. You just heard the number, 210-599-5555. We're going to start out talking to David and Andrew and Bob, and uh, I hate to keep people waiting, so let's just get started. Good morning, David. Good morning, Bob. You know, you Good really mo- gate wide open when you say you talk about anything you want to. Well, uh, anything related to nature or gardening, and uh, uh, beyond that, I'll leave all that to Trey and Jack and, and the other guys that like to talk about other stuff. But uh, I know you, you like to talk about gardening and nature, so I'm glad you called this morning. Bob, how often can I use the molasses on nuts edge? I've, I've heard you say monthly, and I, I drenched it. Uh, and I mean, it looks like it's really, really happy right now, and appreciated that. So I, I know I, you said it takes. Yeah, you can you can do it every two weeks, and um, if you want to make it a little stronger, up to as much as a cup per gallon, you're not going to hurt your good plants with it, but. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be good in effect that it's turned off dry because nutsedge when you give it lots and lots of moisture it it just you know nothing slows it down but in a dry condition the the molasses will rot it out it just takes a little while for the stuff to figure out that it's dead but if you want to go ahead and use a little more after two weeks that's fine okay and can I I have some dry molasses can I put that in a you know in a five gallon bucket and, and use that and so I mean with fill it with water and let it sit and use that it would be better just to put it on dry dry molasses will work just fine but dry molasses isn't crystalline molasses it doesn't dissolve it's just molasses has been soaked into sugar cane or corn cobs ground up or something like that so uh just make a little you know half inch or quarter inch thick covering if you want to use the dry molasses it will work just fine i i usually recommend the liquid primarily because for what you get the liquid's cheaper than the dry but if you have okay. dry and you want to put it on go right ahead but uh don't don't soak it you'll end up with the soggy slimy mess i it it's funny and i can tell the story on him because he's moved out of the area now but the guy who actually sold me the Continental Belt and Sprayer I can pull behind my tractor and spray with. Uh, he dumped a dry, bunch of dry molasses into his sprayer, and then it took him three days to clean out all the nozzles and everything from the way it clogged it up. So <laughs> it. even the even the smart ones make mistakes sometimes. So, uh, it, again, nothing wrong with soaking it, but 
uh, you're just kind of wasting your time and you end up with a bit of a mess to deal with. Okay. Second thing, um, I've not got around to looking at your eco vantage at the, at the uh, nursery, but whatever I go with eco or treks, what do you do on the inside corners? Uh, what do you mean about inside corners? I mean, if, you, if I'm framing a raised bed, uh, how do I deal with an inside corner? I mean, is is the dirt going to go out through that, or I, I make a rectangular bed, you know, to uh-huh. bring the corner yeah. together? I, you know, I just use uh, standard wood screws to screw the corners together, and. Uh, I don't have any problem with uh, dirt leaking through at all. They make a little thing they call an embrace, uh, which you can actually slide the pieces down into. But, uh, again, I just use a three-and-a-quarter inch. Uh, in fact, I'm looking at a box of them right here. Let me see what they call them. It's uh, uh, GRK screws is... Uh, what are the screws that I use and uh, have had them in place for several years and they seem to hold up just fine. If you want to if you want to go all the way and spend a little more, you can get stainless steel screws and they will last forever. But I just use usually a three and an eighth inch screw to, uh, you know, screw one board into the other and they've held up for years. All right. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. And you get out and uh, stay cool and enjoy a good day. It's always good to hear from you. All right, thanks, Bob. You're sure welcome. Goodbye. Andrew's next in line. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Bob. How are you this beautiful? Uh, it's off to a beautiful start. It was breezy when I left home. Uh, the sun hadn't quite gotten up yet, and it, it actually had a little hint of coolness to the air and lots of clouds floating over. That's kind of uh, changed now that the sun has gotten up. But uh, it wasn't a bad morning. It's not going to be a bad day. Just wear that hat and drink. Plenty of uh, electrolyte-filled fluids, and you can get out and enjoy just like I do. There you go. Water, water. You need it more than the plants. Uh, well, both of them need it, but uh, if the if the gardener doesn't get enough water, the plants won't either, because <laughs> you do yeah, not want right. to wind up with heat stroke. I'll promise you that. I agree. So I have two questions for you. Uh, my wife is the master gardener in our family. Mm-hmm. And... For the first time since we've been married, she has pumpkins that came ah. up on their own. And there's one specific pumpkin that she has <clears throat> that is kind of a, a elongated-looking pumpkin. Okay. It's about two feet long, and the wow. circum- or diameter is like a foot. Or, or foot and a half. I mean, it's a huge pumpkin already. Jack-o'-lantern queen. That's it. What she wants to do with it is uh, we live in Guadalupe County, uh-huh. and she's one of those that, that everything we grow, onions, peppers, okra, all go to the county fair, uh-huh. uh, which is in October. Okay. So the question is, with this pumpkin being as big as it is now, what do I need to do, and what are the chances it's going to make it to the first week of October? Oh, the main thing you need to do is using a couple of pieces of PVC pipe or uh, something that you know you can use to lift it up off the ground. That's the most important thing. If it stays against the ground, 
you're going to have a problem with pill bugs chewing on it, uh, and I don't like putting like a flat piece of wood because then they try to get between the wood and uh, the pumpkin. But just even if it's, you know, something thin like Schedule 200 pipe, just cut yourself a couple little 8 or 10-inch pieces of that or maybe three, and, you know, one of you lift the other, slice it, slide it under the pumpkin just so you get air circulation all the way around it. Beyond okay. that, it's, you know, keep watered, keep it well watered. Try to keep the water off the foliage because the more water you get on the foliage, the more problems you're going to have with powdery mildew and, and you know, all the things that hit all of the curcurbits. Uh And beyond that, just cross your fingers. You you can harvest it. Um, watch the Watch the stem where it's attached to the pumpkin itself. If that gets to where it's ready to separate or if it separates, that's going to tell you the pumpkin's fully mature and just sitting there, it's not going to last well. At that point, you may have to go out and buy a new supersized refrigerator to put it in to try to hold it till October. But that's why the pumpkins you see in the grocery store are not grown around this area. They're grown up in a cooler climate up north, and they're not planted until later. But this sounds like a prize pumpkin for the San Antonio area. So, um, well, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. So, yeah. how high do I need to lift it off the ground with the pipes? Just enough to right. have good air. Just have good air circulation underneath it. Okay, sounds good. And then my second question: <clears throat> We have chickens. Uh, God, do I have chickens? <laughs> uh, Doctor Kirby would be proud of you. Um, in there habitat where they live and we let them out every evening and they roam around and then put themselves up but on top of their nest nesting boxes there's a board on top of them where they they roost up there and Mm -hmm. and hang out and about once a week i go out there and scrape all of the droppings Mm -hmm. all the manure off of the top of that and just dump it on the ground and i know it's pure manure there's no other substance right and yes we dig we dig out the 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 coop every now and then you know a couple times a year and put it in the garden and and it's wonderful my question is i've heard people do rabbit tea where you Mm -hmm. take the rabbit poop and and make it could you do the same thing with the chicken feces or chicken manure and and Uh, it's or was it, it not worth it well, you're dealing with uh, you're dealing with a product that oh, how to put this nicely. It's not as well digested, and it will make kind of a nasty mess trying to make a tea out of it. If you've ever raised rabbits, uh, you know their little mm-hmm. pellets are you know pretty dry to begin with and pretty solid and sort of just the opposite of what any kind of poultry manure is going to be. They actually. Okay. Um, what and 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 people like Stuart Frankie, they you know it's a poultry litter material that they base uh, the older version of growing green on, along with many many other people that use poultry litter as a fertilizer base, so to speak. But it is dried; it's oven dried, so to speak, to solidify it. And if you just really wanted to. You could make a compost tea out of well-dried uh, poultry manure, but um, I'm going to suggest that it's better to let it compost naturally and put it on, you know, like you have been, just, you know, scooping the 
pretty well digested, pretty well composted material out of the bin. But if you want to make a tea out of it, just let it get dry to the point of being crispy, and then you could do it. But I still don't suggest it. It's just not. It's just not the same material. A, a chicken has a totally different digestive system. Actually, does a much worse job of processing uh, the nutrients that are in the feed than a rabbit or a cow or even a horse, for that matter, do. So, uh, uh, better to do what you're doing. Let it compost naturally, or if you want to, rather than just scraping it off onto the ground, scrape it off in a bucket, put it outside you know, in a in a given place and let it dry. If you want to see what happens, put it in a bucket and leave the bucket out in the rain, and you'll only do it once. <laughs> I'll just put yeah, it that I, way. <laughs> well, I appreciate your time and information, and keep doing what you're doing, and God bless. And good luck with the giant pumpkin contest. I want to hear, I want to hear about a big blue ribbon come October. I'll do that. I'll call you back. Thank you. This sounds great, Andrew. Thank you, sir. All right, uh, Bob, let me get a break in here. Got to take a second here. I actually get to talk about uh, Medina. How about that uh, coincidence? Medina is just a great company that's been making agricultural products for well over 50 years right here in our area. Fertilizers is one of the things they specialize in. The two different forms of growing green now one based on meat byproducts, so it doesn't have that poultry litter aroma. The other, uh, that they actually dry and process right over there in Hondo, based on poultry manure. Both of them are wonderful products. Both of them, you do not have to worry about watering them in. You can use them 365 days a year, wet or dry. They're outstanding fertilizer products for grass, trees, shrubs, ground covers, just about anything in the yard. You can use them in pots, but I'll tell you, I personally prefer the liquid fertilizers that uh, Medina makes in pots, and those would be the Hasturo products and the liquid fish blend. Medina makes quality products working with nature, not against nature. They also package a lot of good things. They don't make themselves. But Stewart seeks out and finds the best orange oil in the world, the best molasses, the best liquid seaweed. If it has Medina on the label, you're getting a quality product inside. You want to see the whole list of things? Well, simply go to their website at medinaag.com. And don't forget to fertilize, even in the heat, your plants need it. But with the Medina products, you can safely do it 365 days a year. That's Medina Agriculture. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on a nice June morning. Here we are a few days into actual summer, of course, in South Texas, summer comes earlier than the calendar. The moon says it does, but uh, the sun. Anyway, uh, Don tells me we've got several open lines, so if you uh, want to avoid getting all those busy signals later in the show, be a good time to dial 210-599-5555. You don't even have to get out of bed or change clothes or anything else. Just pick up the phone and call me while I talk to a man with a good name. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Bob. Thank you. Well, thank you, sir. How can I help this morning? It's always a blessing to hear your voice every weekend. Well, you're very kind. I appreciate it, and I enjoy it. Yeah, we we were up, we were always up early in the mornings working on our garden. I think we wake up our our neighbor's rooster named Macho over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that uh, uh, that, that's nature's alarm clock. Yes, sir. Yeah. So we picked uh, our first harvest of some cantaloupes. Uh, this year, uh, the cantaloupes, I, I 
I went a different route with those. Usually we were doing the uh, the Tuscan melons. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cantaloupe. And we've had good luck with those, but I couldn't find those this year. But um, we're doing okay with those. But our watermelons, you know, they, they get that, they grow so, so much, and then they get that mm-hmm. black spot at the bottom. And uh, I sprayed, uh, I put some calcium in the ground, uh, pellets. Right. And uh, I also sprayed just the other day uh, with, I think it's a uh, Bertolome or something, so a yield booster or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, uh, what's your thought on it? Is it getting too hot for them? Is well, this year? the heat has something to do with it, but what you really need to put on the ground, just as we do tomatoes, is Epsom salts. Um, is is the the kind of brownish spot toward the end, the far end of the tomato, opposite the end where it's connected to the vine? Yeah, on the watermelon, yes, it is. Yeah. And, and not all of them are that, like that, but there's right. a few, and then there's a few that, that look like a, like a yellow squash popping out, you know, not mm-hmm. getting all deformed. Right. What what happens, and, you know, we, we can't give watermelons or other plants conscious thought, but they they react to stimuli within, you know, the f- developing fruit. And there has to be, the way that all, all plants, but especially it's obvious in, in what we call the cucurbits, the melons and squash and things, there has to be one pollen grain from the male flower land on what's called the stigmatic surface in the female flower for every seed that would normally develop in the fruit, whether it's a squash or, you know, cantaloupe or watermelon or anything else. And it uh, there's, there's something called a pollen tube, grows down from the little piece or grain of pollen down, you know, further into the plant. And when you don't have enough pollen transferred when the bees aren't doing their job or you know for whatever reason you're you get what we call incomplete pollination and let's say that watermelon is programmed by nature to have 250 seeds in it but uh, that whoever transfers the pollen only gets 150 pollen grains onto the female flower then the melon develops normally you know to the point that it will have filled out 150 seeds inside the melon and then something inside the plant says, hey, we're not going to make any more seeds, so we don't need to make any bigger melon. And the end of it either, you know, turns yellow and starts to rot. Sometimes in the case of a cucumber, it'll just shrivel up but continue to grow. It looks like kind of a rat's tail. And it it is not really anything uh, related to blossom end rot like we get in tomatoes. That's a calcium and magnesium imbalance. And if you're going to put anything, if you're worried about a calcium deficiency, once again, Epsom salts are the best thing to use. But what is actually causing the problem you're seeing is a pollination problem. And if you're not getting good pollination, sometimes you just have to take over the bee's job. the honeybees are in trouble, and do everything you can to encourage mason bees in the garden. That's a whole other story. But go out and get a little bitty artist paintbrush or real fluffy little brush, and you know the difference in the male and the female flowers. The male flowers, you'll see the pollinia, the bright yellow things inside. Uh, the female flower doesn't have that. Just take your little paintbrush, dust around inside, get a lot of the pollen on that little paintbrush, and then go dust around in the center of the female flowers, and you'll actually do a better job than the bees do, and uh, your watermelons will fill out completely that way. Does that make sense? 
Yes, it does. So there, so we do have a few good ones in there, and we're trying to baby them. Yeah. So when is a good time? Do we stop watering? And when's a good time to pick them? Or how do you the pick time? Them? The pine time to pick them is, uh, you know, what they call at the slip, S-L-I-P stage, and that just means where the melon separates from the stem that attaches it. Uh, you'll never you'll you'll never find them properly ripened in the grocery store. And if you are buying melons in the grocery store, buy the ones where the you know where the little stem is not left on them. Uh, and to pick from your own garden, wait until the until the the melon itself, whether it's cantaloupe, watermelons, or whatever, wait until it it comes loose from the vine, so to speak, and that's when it's fully mature. Unfortunately, raccoons, coyotes, possums. Those guys also know when it's mature, and when I'm joking with somebody, I tell them, you know, the right time to pick is when the raccoons are starting to go after them. So, <clears throat> but that's what you're trying to do, and it's also a word of warning to do anything you can. I use a you know electric fence to keep those critters out of, uh, just like I do with corn, and uh, everybody says, well, I don't want to go to that much trouble. Putting up an electric fence is a lot easier than it used to be because you don't use a straight, stiff wire anymore. They actually make looks like just a piece of polypropylene rope, but it has little very fine copper wires threaded all through it, and uh, it's, it's just like putting a piece of rope up to go around the garden. You use insulated stakes, but it really does work. I usually you know, a double, use a double layer, one of them about 6 inches off the ground, one of them about 12 inches off the ground, and I will wet it down underneath that wire at night in the summer when things get dry. And I hate to say it, it's probably, <laughs> it doesn't hurt them, but I just enjoy hearing that raccoon let out a blood-curdling screech in the middle of the night when <laughs> it uh, contacts the electricity. And uh, I, I've just had too many cantaloupes and too many ears of corn destroyed by those marauding creatures. And if they are a problem in your garden, maybe they're not. But if they are, get a little fence charger and uh, put that up because they will know when those uh, melons are getting ripe. And uh, but anyway, hope you get a good crop from yeah. them. But uh, and you'll find the same thing uh, <clears throat> with squash and cucumbers. Uh, you may be getting some incomplete pollination there. And as long as you've got your little brush out, just uh, you know, go about. It doesn't take but you know a matter of five minutes. You can do you know a hundred flowers. But um, that, that's what you're going to have to do if you don't have the bees to do the job. Now, you might want to do a little research on mason bees. Mason bees are not a colony bee. They're a solitary bee. But okay. they're probably better pollinators than the, uh, than the honeybees are. They're European honeybees that we mostly have. You don't want the Africanized ones for sure. But uh, the, uh, the mason bees are docile. There are many different species occur here in Texas. You make, in effect, a... Oh, a place that they want to come lay their eggs, take a piece of, I don't know why they love cedar, but just an old dead cedar log, or you can actually use uh, the western red cedar, which is what they sell as, uh, you know, cedar lumber, but put a ring bolt in one end, drill a bunch of uh, holes down roughly two inches deep into the wood, um, and somewhere about three-eighths of an inch, actually anything from a quarter of an inch to a half an inch will attract different species. But hang that out in a shady place. And if you can get, you know, a good group of mason bees going, uh, your pollination issues will be a thing of the past. Wow. Okay. Yeah, well, we, we definitely try that. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. You know, just uh, I'm, I'm an electrician, and uh, sometimes I get 
uh, messed up a little bit with some circuits, you know, and, and I make that screaming noise. <laughs> it's a very shocking experience. Uh, I, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, but anyway, you know, bad puns are, my grandmother used to tell me a pun is the lowest form of wit, but uh, I, I'm afraid that I enjoy that source of humor. And it, It's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> some people some people just don't get it. One of my favorite ones is about the guy who thought he saw an Eskimo on the Riverwalk the other day, and it turned out to be an optical illusion. And it's funny how many people just give you a dumb look <laughs> when you give them that sort of thing. Bob, I, you, you get out and get to work in the garden. We're getting way off subject here. <laughs> but you have a good Thank day. Let me know how it works out. The uh, the ones that the that end starts to go bad, you might as well harvest them. Just you know, s- cut off the bad part, and if they are mature enough, they'll still have a good flavor. But best thing okay. to do is prevent it. And uh, and uh, anyway, it's good to hear from you. You get out and have a great Thank Sunday. You. My pleasure. Thank you too. Thank you, sir. Bye. All right, speaking of nature-related things, I get to talk to you about Wild Birds Unlimited, and that's such a pleasure. I uh, <clears throat> was out on the West Coast uh, a couple of weeks ago, and one of the T-shirts we saw had a saying that I just love, and it is that nature never disappoints. Anybody that enjoys nature knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's just, I don't know, it's a great way to bring up kids, grandkids, whoever's in your life, and uh, and great thing for you to enjoy yourself. And Wild Birds Unlimited, they're a bird store, but so much more. They'll help you bring in the prettiest birds out there, whether it's hummingbirds or you know, finches or orioles or, gosh, things like painted bunnings. It just will warm your heart to see those guys out at work around your garden. But uh, Wild Birds Unlimited can help you with the best feeders in the world, many of them with lifetime guarantees. They always have the appropriate seed blend for the season. You're not going to find that in the grocery store. They have suet cake of many different kinds. They carry the seed that is treated with hot pepper, so the squirrels and the raccoons leave it alone. Great hummingbird feeders, too, with built-in ant stoppers, and they have a product you can add to the nectar, so if the hummingbirds aren't drinking it fast enough, you don't have to replace it quite as often. Plus, Wild Birds Unlimited is just a great gift store, many different nature-related gifts. They have fountains and bird baths, too, to help because the birds really need water at this time of year. Beautiful wind chimes. You just need to go see them and see what all is there. And the shopping center out at the corner of Northwest Military Highway in Hebner, kind of on the side that faces Northwest Military. Uh, they're there to help you. And if you have a question, they welcome your calls. 479-BIRD, 210-479-BIRD for Wild Birds Unlimited. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Looks like the next three callers are going to be Clint, Mike, and Mark. Clint is at the first of the line. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. How's it going? It's going well. Getting hot, but it is uh, approaching July, so I don't know why we expect anything different. I just wish we'd get back to those weekly rains. You know, getting to satisfying shocks on the electric fence ain't nothing more happier than when the neighbor's hard-headed cows... <laughs> finally learn the grass ain't greener on my side of the fence when they're tearing it up. And, you know, when then you get things like horses. They only get shocked once, and then you can turn the fence off. They're they're smart enough to learn about that. But, uh, 
Yeah, it's uh, an an electric fence, and I'm sure you do the same thing. That it's just so much easier to put up today, and uh, you got lots of voltage, but no amperage, so it's not going to cause any permanent problem. But it'll sure get your attention in a hurry. <laughs> I'll, well, I use I'll, that shiny aluminum wire, and they learn to stay away from that real quick. <laughs> I bet they do. I bet they do. And you never seen a cow jump so high. <laughs> I, we shouldn't laugh at such things, but uh, uh, if, if you, like I, I'm sure, have had plenty of them cause problems going through fences, knocking down fences, and it's just it's just nice to uh, have something that's so simple and so non-lethal, but really does get their attention in a hurry. And so satisfying watching them learn their lesson. <laughs> yep. Well, what's going on in the garden today? Anyway, I got my tomatoes. Finally, got some decent uh, crop this year. Uh, used the rock was it the rock phosphate and a right. lot of Medina when planting and stuff. Uh huh. I get a few tomatoes now and then. Looks like they got uh, like a burn scar. Like a, a person who has a burn scar is mm-hmm. white and is always yep. facing the sun. What yep. is that? Sunburn. Yeah, they sun. Sunburn. Yeah, they sunburn. Uh, it's one of the reasons that. You know, that I have people all the time that want to thin out the foliage, which is something that they apparently do up north. And if you do that, or if you grow a variety that doesn't have thick foliage, uh, or the tomatoes just form in the wrong spot, you get sunburn. And uh, if it's happening a lot, you know, just take some clothespins, put some... uh, uh, just a little strip of insulate up and down the west side of your tomato cages or uh, put up a little bit of shade cloth. But but you're looking plain and simple sunburn. You can get it on peppers. You can get it on tomatoes. Not as common on eggplant, but I have seen it on eggplant, especially when it's a year like this where the uh, temperatures go from pretty comfortable to very uncomfortable very quickly. You'll see a lot of sunburn in the vegetable garden. And that's a big white-looking sunburn. Yeah, yeah, white, and then it gets soft, and then uh, you're feeding the tomatoes to the chickens. <laughs> yeah, I had a big windstorm come through here and just blew them all the way over, and it didn't look like it survived going back up, so that's probably why yeah. they're all getting some this year. That's probably it. But, uh, yeah, you can you can use, uh, you know, a, sh- a fabric like the insulate that we usually use for frost protection, or you can use just your old uh, polypropylene shade cloth like we tend to use on greenhouses. Uh, anything, but uh, you and, and you only need to worry about keeping that afternoon sun off of uh, morning sun in Texas. Is I've never seen that intense enough to cause a sunburn, but boy, that uh, one to four afternoon sun, it'll do it in a hurry. Oh, most definitely. Uh, also, uh, how do you how do you keep blue stem from growing and, and uh, creeping along, and how do you get it out of your coastal? I the only way I know is to you know let your coastal choke it out, increase your fertilizer, and increase that compost tea. It's just the bane of every hay grower's existence because anything that kills it is hard on the coastal as well. But coastal well fertilized, not overgrazed, is stronger than KR blue stem uh, because cows and talking about cows, they'll go through and eat all your coastal and not touch the KR blue stem until they're about ready to starve. But, uh, I, I know of no chemical organic or otherwise that will control the KR blue stem. You just need to do it through culture. Uh, people seem to reduce it 
through you know burning appropriate control burns but uh uh i you know and i'm sure you you probably have a minor problem with it where i see people with a major problem is people that are just harvesting their coastal too often and not giving it enough natural nutrition that uh compost tea that organic fertilizer your coastal will turn into a stronger grass but uh it doesn't happen overnight and uh you know, there. I understand there's a different blue stem called Kleberg that's even worse than King Ranch blue stem, and I neither one of them are my friends. Well, I got a lot of folks out here. That's all they bail is the blue stem. I understand that one. Well, they're you know the cows sure don't like to eat it as well. It's been my experience, and uh, it, it's certainly the most drought tolerant, the one that needs the least fertilizer, and you get a lot of bulk from it, but you don't get much nutrition out of it. Of course, you don't get a lot of nutrition out of coastal. You, you want high nutrition, you go to the annual things like Sudan and high gear and things like that. But uh, uh, your your basic coastal, and there's some new improved varieties of coastal out there too. Uh, given proper care and regular rainfall, which is, you know, just a, a who knows how you, you manage that. But uh, in, in a moist, good environment, coastal will choke out KR blue stem. What's the other names of the coastal varieties? You know, I don't, I don't grow coastal, and I can't keep up with it. Uh, years ago, I could have told you, but um, there's a company down in the Rio Grande Valley um, that uh, has specialized in developing some new varieties. This we're we're going back 20 years, but uh, um, it's it's one of the big seed producers. You might call the uh, call the guys over at Douglas King. Uh, they they deal in seed, and of course, coastal doesn't come from seed. But they could probably tell you the name uh, if I can go back through records that far. I'll try to find it because I know you call regularly. But um, uh, there there's some companies down in the valley have come up with some new uh, KR or some new uh, um, varieties of Bermuda that are more resistant to the KR, but. Uh, I'll uh, I'll see if I can find it, but uh, if not, call call Douglas King and ask Dean or one of the guys over there uh, if, what they know about new co- new uh, varieties of coastal. Oh, if the Cheyenne too is one of the new varieties. I've heard of that one. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't grow coastal. I used to grow and bale my own hay, but there's just not enough hours in the day to do that anymore. Right. Now I was listening. Uh... I think it was last week when you had a rerun going on. You were talking to the uh, dirt doctor, and y'all, I think y'all hit on the topic of those little summertime gnats that get around your eyes and ears and the bug right. dogs. Too. Right. Was there a deterrent, or is there like a, a trap you can build to start trapping them, like a skeeter trap too, and or a June bug trap, or how can you can start controlling those? One way is with the yellow sticky tack uh, traps. You know, that, that real sticky yellow paper they use, the gnats will get to that. This sounds crazy, and I heard this just yesterday. But among the things that we sell, uh, people are just, you know, kind of gaga about carnivorous plants. And I've always found them a little bit difficult, but it's probably because I've just been so busy doing so much else. And we've had two or three people tell us lately that, uh, and it's not, not so much the Venus flytraps, but the... Uh, ones that uh, the pitcher plants and they said that they've started growing a couple of those in their house and uh, after two days they had no more gnats but uh, that's not practical over a big area i find that the cedar uh, uh cedar repel the cedar oil products will help keep them away but um i you know uh, don't remember what howard and i talked about i think we probably talked about garlic and cedar as being two things you can spray around to repel them 
Okay, but they're, they're attracted to that yellow sticky pad, too? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. I think I got some from last year. I'm going to try that because they drive me insane. Oh, I know. Me too. And uh, and <laughs> don't get me started on that. You could do some experimenting. I just haven't gotten around to it. <clears throat> I know that they, uh, if you leave a glass of uh, either iced tea or an uncovered adult beverage out there, they'll sure fly into that. So you might do a little experimenting with, uh, you know, in, in effect, uh, uh, you know, a, a trap, kind of like we do for the June bugs. But I, I'm not sure what they will be most attracted to, but I find just about any liquid, uh, especially if you're trying to drink it, they'll find their way in. I, that's why I love those little little drink covers. But uh, you could do some experimenting and, and make them up with something that works as a good trap for them. I don't know what's about the ears. They sure love your ears. Uh, and your eyes. For me, it's the eyes because I'm out there weed-eating and uh, – things like that, and uh, they just go right around my protective glasses and try to get in your eyes, and it's just, uh, I, you they're just not pleasant. <laughs> just leave it at that. <laughs> All right, well, I appreciate your time. Always appreciate talking to you, Clint. Get out and have a great day. Uh, Mike, you and uh, Mark are up next, but I need to take one more break here and talk about Phoenix Nursery and Garden Center, and I think they ought to just change their nursery name to Crepe Myrtle City this time of year. Nobody carries the wide assortment of crepe myrtles that uh, Fanix does, probably over 100 different varieties close to it over there now, and just more and more through the summer months. Many, probably most of them in bloom, so you can get an idea of the colors. Uh, you may want to rely on Mark and Mike and their staff to tell you about the growth heights. They're, they're different ones. Some of them are a little bit bushier. Some of them are a little bit more of a, uh, an upright tree-like uh, plant but golly the sizes the miniatures only grow a couple of feet tall basham's party pink may grow 35 or 40 feet tall Fanix can help you with your selections there they really have a wonderful selection of varieties out there right now they've also gotten in some more fruit trees including citrus they have all those water saver plants that qualify for the saws rebate programs lots of shade trees as well plus all the organic gardening supplies fertilizers compost mulches just always a good day to visit Fanix. Right over there on Home Green Road, where they've been for almost 90 years. Check out their website, too, at Fanick, F-A-N-I-C-K, FanickNursery.com. Open seven days a week to serve you. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on a nice Sunday morning out there. Uh, it's going to be Mike and then Mark. Mike is in front. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. And Hi, let's sir. hope that this, let's pray that this cloud cover stays around most of the day. <laughs> well, that's a prayer that may or may not be answered, but it sure would be nice if it happened. Bob, I have a couple of comments to make. Uh, one about the man and the gnats. Mm -hmm. uh, I can pour a glass of bourbon and put it out here uh, on the uh, <laughs> audio with me. And I have more fun picking gnats out of it with a pencil and then smashing them with my fingers. <laughs> that's the extent of my hunting. Well, that's that's an awful waste of good bourbon if you're not doing it right. But uh, I, that's uh, that sounds like a good attractant. Yeah, it's, it's kind of fun to do since I don't hunt anymore. But uh, <laughs> another comment on the cantaloupe, you were talking about the piece on the stem. Right. Uh, I have found that when I buy a cantaloupe at the grocery store, I'll bring it home. They're always green. Mm -hmm. So I put it out in the sun 
here on the patio. I put it out in the sun and uh, turn it every day. I leave mm-hmm. it there three or four days. And, boy, it is the best tasting, the sweetest cantaloupe. It helps it ripen up. Well, and that's that's a great thing to do. And many times, if you look up at that spot where the stem was joined, that'll start to crack a little bit. And that also is another way to tell that it is approaching full ripeness. And, boy, you put it in the refrigerator and chill it down, there's nothing better. That's right. Bob, I uh, have a red-hot poker here. I forget the real name of it. Tritoma. But I was, what is it? Either tritoma or nifofia, depending on which taxonomist you want to believe, but I know what you're speaking oh. of. Okay. Well, I was up in Tacoma, Washington several years ago, and I saw some growing in a person's yard, and they were out there, and I went up and introduced myself, and we talked, and gave me a couple of cuttings off of it, and I uh, gave them to my daughter who lives up there, and uh, hers are doing just fine. Mine has bit the dust a long time ago. But she was down here visiting a couple of months ago, and she brought me a cutting off of hers. And I've got it in a, in a big pot. And I was just wondering, I was talking to her the other day, the stems, they go from about three-quarters of an inch in width all the way up to the of the point. They're about 30 inches long. Right. And uh, they're falling over. She suggested cutting them off. I would just stake them up if these are the ones that are going to form the flowers. They they don't like our heat. Um, again, I've seen them everywhere from Mexico City to, you know, Oregon a couple of weeks ago. But uh, the Texas summer is just hard on them. Spring and fall, uh, they'll be beautiful, and you can grow them here. But I'd sure suggest that uh, you may want to keep it in a pot rather than in the ground so you can move it around. But uh, morning sun, afternoon shade, and uh, they will grow year-round uh, the main the prettiest flowers are going to be spring and fall but uh if you've got stems that just aren't as strong as you want i just use some little bamboo stakes or something like that to stake them up uh cutting them back you're just taking away tissue that the plant needs oh my goodness well it's take a lot of sticks to hold these up there's uh, probably well and you can those. sometimes you just put a couple of uh two or three in and get a piece of that plastic uh tape we use uh, that they used to just kind of tie things up and just kind of make a circle around the top. But they're an interesting plant, and they are certainly fun to grow, but they're never going to look like they do in Washington. I've got to go to news. This is KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. All right, back to gardening, and it looks like I know Sundays are time when some people have to run off to church, and the lineup changes a bit. Right now, it looks like Jimmy and Kit are going to be my next two callers. Jimmy's up first. Good morning, Jimmy. Morning, Bob. Good morning. How are you doing, sir? Uh, It's just another nice morning out there. Look forward to getting out into it and sweating like you always do in June and July, but uh, welcome to South Texas. Absolutely. Say, Bob, I was wondering if you can grow mountain laurel from the seed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mountain laurel seeds are pretty easy to grow if you know what you're doing. They have a very hard wax-coated seed that uh, Mother Nature has designed to be able to lie there for several years before it germinates if conditions aren't right. If you want to grow them well, what you need to do is take the seeds, and if you're not doing a whole 
big number of them, do it individually, but scratch the surface. You don't have to saw a hole in the side of the seed. You just have to scratch uh, it enough to abrade that waxy coating so that it can absorb water. Then soak your seeds uh, maybe an hour in a little bit of water and garret juice. You'll have pretty much 100% germination, and they will germinate quickly. That may It may take a few weeks, but uh, they will certainly germinate and grow I've had people call and tell me different things that they do. One man who does a lot of the seed uh, has a gym tumbler, a rock tumbler, and he throws a little carborundum in there and tumbles them a while. Another gentleman told me he takes and just gently holds the seeds uh, with a pair of pliers or something similar and for just an instant touches it against a grinding wheel in his shop to uh, rough up that outer surface. But if you'll do that, if you'll abrade that waxy coating so that the seed can absorb the moisture it needs to start to germinate, um, they grow very easily from seed, and you get virtually 100% of them will sprout and grow. Oh, that's, that's good news. I, I have a, a really pretty mountain laurel, and it had a, a bunch of seed pods this year. Uh-huh. And I was just curious if, if you could grow them for seed. So I'm from seed. I'm, I'm certainly going to do that. I sure appreciate well, it. Yeah, and other people, again, I've had people tell me they put them between two pieces of sandpaper. Like I said, some people use the little file, but uh, you will be successful. Now, remember that a plant takes a while to mature. Uh, it has to, in effect, achieve you know what an animal would be sexual maturity but a plant has to mature before it's able to bloom and starting a mountain laurel from seed it may be three to five years before it's mature enough even if it makes a nice big plant it may be three to five years before it reaches a maturity where it can start producing those beautiful flowers so you got to be patient when you're growing them from seed uh, but you can certainly do it and you'll be very very successful with it i pretty much promise you jimmy Okay, Bob. Well, I'm sure appreciate your help, and uh, you, you have a good day. You do the same, sir. Thanks so much for the call. All right, uh, next in line. Next in line is Kit. Good morning, Kit. Good morning, Bob. And yes, outside sweating already, so it's a good day. <laughs> so. It's summer, yes, sir. Yes. Uh, two quick questions for you. The first one: a couple weeks ago. You had mentioned about spraying something in your grass to help uh, prevent the, the um, chiggers from uh, coming, but I did cedar. not write down what it was. Yeah, cedar oil is the best thing I've ever found, and uh, used to have a friend that managed the, the managed Little League Baseball Diamonds up in Bandera, and uh, he tried it and had extremely good success with it. You can buy cedar oil and under the Nature's Creation brand. I believe it sold the Cedar Repel, R-E-P-E-L. And uh, it okay. does a good job of uh, running the sugars off. And do you apply it straight or do you mix it with water? Oh, no. Mix, mix it with water and spray. And do early morning or late evening. You don't want to plant, spray any oil in the hot part of the day. But, no, you dilute it down, um, you know, no more than an ounce or two per gallon and just put it out with your ordinary hose-in sprayer. All right, good. And then uh, my second question is, I was out checking my sweet potato vines yesterday, and Mm -hmm. I noticed that on a lot of the lower ones, there were little, like, pinholes in the leaves. Is that something I should be concerned with? Um, if you want perfect leaves, you it probably is pill bugs what's doing it, roly-poly, sow bugs, whatever you want to call them. 
Um, as yep. you know, sweet potato vine is one of the most rampant growing things you'll ever find. It, it'd be as bad as kudzu if it didn't freeze and die in the winter. But um, if you're concerned about appearances, you can always put out a little bit of Slogo Plus or you can make a little pill bug trap because that's almost certainly okay. is what make, is making those holes. They are not going to kill the plants. They're, you know, the, okay. the, they will outgrow it. But if cosmetically they're becoming unattractive, uh, do something about controlling the pill bugs, and uh, the problem will, will cease to exist. All right. Thank you very much. That's all I had this morning. Well, appreciate the call. You get out and enjoy, and I thank you. Um, let's Thanks. see here. You're welcome. I don't think I've got another caller right this second. I'll tell you what, uh, y'all call me, 210-599-5555, while there's an opening here and you've got a chance to get through. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and talk to you for a moment about my friends at Rhonda's Nature's Way. I just just can't say enough nice things about Rhonda. Rhonda and her husband were actually in the nursery yesterday and got in a good visit with them. And talk about nice people who have helped so many people across this part of the country enjoy better health. Help them take care of uh, those issues like sleep problems, digestive issues, sometimes even mood issues. And, you know, Rhonda is really concerned, too, makes a, makes a big point of talking to people about how much it helps your mental health with certain supplements. And, uh, of course, you just always, you're going to be mentally healthier if you feel good, if you don't have the aches and pains. And this doesn't mean running to your MD for pills. There's so many natural products out there that will help support your immune system, help your metabolism, help your digestion. And that's what she and her staff have specialized in for about 40 years now. Uh, what they do is natural. She also does reflexology, red light therapy, beamer light therapy, uh, some foot bath therapies right there in the store. She's got the best out there for things, and uh, I'll, I'll credit uh, some of her immune support products for the fact that uh, I've stayed so healthy through the pandemics and everything else. But there are things you can do to support your immune system, and uh, it's just I just prefer to do things naturally the way Mother Nature does. Rhonda's Nature's Way has been around a long time. I checked with her yesterday about the Ultima. That's the material that I like to add to water when I drink on the hot afternoons in the summer. It's an electrolyte solution, great for your body, but without all the sugar that you get in the sports drinks out there. And she was telling me they've even got two new flavors this year. So if you work out in the heat like I do, if you're concerned about, uh, you know, getting the proper amount of electrolytes and you want something that tastes good, makes it easier to drink that water, check out Ultima from Rhonda's Nature's Way. Many reasons to go see her. Don't go see them today because they're always closed on Sundays. You'll find them in church on Sunday mornings. You can go see them the other six days a week, though, right out in the shopping center at the corner of I-10 and Callahan, kind of just across the parking lot from uh, from uh, the grocery out there. And uh, they're, like you say, open six days a week, except for major holidays, and Sprouts is a grocery I was trying to think of there. But uh, they're there to help you take your questions to them, take your problems to them. I'm sure she and her staff will give you a lot of help. That's Rhonda's Nature's Way. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Looks like we've got Angie and Ray and Bob waiting. Angie's first in line. Good morning, Angie. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Yeah, I wanted to make sure before I went out and see if it's a good time to start my um, broccoli for the fall and the seeds. 
Yes, it is a good time to start from seed. You won't want to put them out in the garden until the middle of August. But uh, it takes four to six weeks to make a good transplant. So uh, I would suggest that you get started uh, planting your seed anytime. Oh, good. Then I got the green light from you, so I will do that this afternoon. And then I had a question on how much water okra needs. Does it, like, need to be, how much its water needs? It pretty much, it it may be daily watering when it's as hot as it is. Okra, uh, it it won't die if it gets too dry, but it'll sure get droopy and you'll end up with a bunch of yellow leaves. So uh, it's going to be one of the thirstiest plants in the garden. You'll probably water your okra three times for every once that you water your tomato plants. Oh, good. I was checking because I tend to be that naughty overwaterer, and I don't want to <laughs> do that. So, <laughs> Well, keep, keep in mind that in the garden or anywhere else, there's no such thing as overwatering. There's watering too right. often, but when you yeah. water, water very, very thoroughly. But uh, if there's anything you're going you're gonna to water too often, okra would be a good plant to choose because it really kind of thirsty. And the other thing about okra is be sure that you pick daily if you miss a few and they get too big go ahead and pick them off uh you know just put them out for the animals or just leave them on the ground but uh if you don't if you don't keep picking it won't keep producing but uh you keep up your water and you'll be eating uh fresh gumbo all the way well into the fall yeah i like to pickle it i think it's so yummy oh my gosh I'm, yes it's yeah <laughs> it's one of, one of my is it, it may be my number one favorite snack is pick, pickle okra yeah, yes it I is love to eat it so about yeah. three inches is about three to four inches is about how long I should get them, you think? That's the that's the best size, yes, ma'am. Okay. All right. Just making sure I'm doing it right, and I appreciate all your help. Cause that's it's always always a pleasure. I appreciate the call, Thank Angie. You, sir. You're uh-huh. welcome. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Ah, next in line is Ray. Good morning, Ray. Hello. Are you there, Ray? I'm uh, here in. Uh, Okay, dropped off. Then I believe we have uh, next in line is going to be Bob. Uh, good morning, Bob. Yes, uh, Bob, good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. I'm off to a good start. How about yourself? Same way, sir. Same way. Glad uh, to Bob, hear I know it. Yes, sir. Sir, you've talked about this before, but I want to uh, kind of refresh myself. Uh, we've got a couple of pecan trees. We live in the southeast part of town. Good, good uh-huh. soil out here. And uh, they're about 60 years old, and they've did well through the years, but uh, I know uh, between the uh, super cold and the, all the super heat we're having, uh, all the top part of both of these trees have died. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's one foliage is coming out quite a bit on the trunk of the, of the tree as it goes up. Uh, and the other it had some mold at the bottom of it. Is that mold caused from the stress of, of the tree, of the heat and so forth? Is it like a black mold that you can wipe off or brush off uh, that's on the leaves? Uh, no, it's not on the leaves. It's on the trunk of the tree, and it's more of a white-looking mold, about the size of a silver dollar. Okay, and is it actually growing out? There's something called a shelf fungus that uh, uh, tends to make a projection that comes out from the side of the trunk. Yes, sir. That's what that's what it's doing. Okay, that is that's not a healthy sign for the tree. Some of the of and, and shelf fungi is what we typically call them. They're related to mushrooms and things like that. And some of them are harmless and just basically growing on some dead wood within the tree trunk. Others, you know, maybe maybe a little more serious problem. Um, 
the top of the tree sounds just like freeze damage, and uh, just about everybody that has pecans, if they were dry when we got the severe cold earlier, uh, you're going to have some dead there. And the fact that they're regrowing, putting on new growth is a good thing. We've had some good deep rains, and as you say, you're certainly in the best part of town to grow pecan trees. But I would think about getting an arborist to take a look at uh, the shelf fungi that you've got growing on there and see if he or she thinks that there's uh, uh, anything that you need to do. Uh, uh, you're, you're going to see it lots of times, anytime a tree's injured, anytime a tree's had a physical injury or something like that. But And most of them are not damaging but there are some of them that could affect the uh affect the health of the tree the arborist that i recommend most highly is uh he's just a consultant he doesn't actually you know he's he doesn't do tree trimming or anything else all he's got to sell you is a little bit of his time uh and his name is david vaughn v-a-u-g-h-a-n mm-hmm. david vaughn and, and, yeah you'll find him under vaughn arbor care or uh, let me see here. If you if if you got a pencil, I can give you his phone number if you'd like. Yeah, yeah, sure, do, sir. Two ten seven eight eight four nine eight six. And David may be able, you might be able just to take a picture of it and text him a picture of it, and that's all you need to do. But uh, I I hope that it's one of the ones that's not a problem, but. Uh, uh, you sure want to know before it really affects that tree seriously. So call David and ask him if you can just text him a picture and let him tell you whether it is anything to worry about or not. All right, sounds good, Bob. And just one uh, quick thing. Uh, the yep. garret juice that you advertised, would it be wise to fertilize the base of these trees uh, with the garret juice? Garret juice is a very, very mild fertilizer. It, it doesn't replace, you know, a good fertilizer like, you know, growing green by Medina or the premium lawn and garden food by te- uh, the folks at Nature's Creation. Uh, it would be a great thing to use. It's, it works as a root stimulant. It provides a lot of different things that will help the tree. But in addition, you might think about using some of the same uh, fertilizer that you would put on your grass or shrubs or other things. Your trees will really appreciate it. But, yeah, it would be fine to use as a liquid applied around uh around no not right up against the trunk but 10 feet or so out from the trunk or simply sprayed on the foliage it'll help both ways all right sir sounds good bob bob you've been real helpful and i really appreciate it sir well it's my great pleasure i appreciate the call this morning thank you all right uh looks like we've got rose and chris and judy rose is next in line good morning rose good morning um good i was morning. wondering yes sir I was wondering if I use a bio-advanced carpenter ant and termite killer plus. Uh, what it looks like on my red oak tree, it looks like uh, termites um, are getting to it. Well, I, I'm not familiar with that product. Red oaks are very susceptible to uh, carpenter ants especially. Termites, not so much. Termites don't live in the tree. Termites live in the ground at the base of the tree. And then they go up through the little tunnels they make to feed. And they only feed on dead wood. They don't feed on live wood. I tell you, I find that um, it's much less expensive. And uh, orange oil is what I use, just the, usually the Medina orange oil. Put about two okay. ounces a gallon and just spray anywhere you see ants or termites, and they'll be dead within minutes. And uh, it does have some residual value. So I'm always reluctant to use uh, anything that may be toxic. Orange oil is very safe for you, very safe for the tree, and very, very bad for the ants and termites. 
Okay, great. Thank you. You're certainly welcome. What else can I help you with today? Oh, that is it. Thank you so much. Appreciate oh, you're it. certainly welcome, Rose. I appreciate the call this morning. Uh, Chris is next in line. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, I have two questions for you. Um, okay, so we live in Spring Branch, mm-hmm. and we have this beautiful uh, area of Ravina just come up this year. Yeah. So when right now um, it's on the north side of the house. It's in a very sunny area. Mm-hmm. It's probably got 20% of the flowers left, but I'm kind of having a hard time mowing down those <laughs> flowers. But when <laughs> is the best time to do it? <laughs> well, when it stops being attractive, mow it down. You know, if it's if 80% of the blooms have already, you know, gone to seed and dropped, you can mow it down any time. But if you looked at my yard, you'd see... You'd see some very neatly mowed areas, and then you'd see big weedy patches of verbena out there because I'm like you. I just can't run over them with that lawnmower. And so I I leave them until they become unattractive and then mow them off. Uh, it's, the native verbena is absolutely gorgeous this year thanks to the good rains we had earlier in the spring and summer. And um, they're, again, as long as they're pretty, as long as they're attractive to you, leave them alone. But when they just start looking too weedy, go ahead and mow them down. They've already dropped plenty of seed to come back next year. Okay, okay. And and what about if we wanted like them to come back like a, a little bit, like uh, over a little bit? Like should we spread <laughs> some cuttings maybe? Well, I wouldn't try to do cuttings. I don't think you'll be successful there. But I'll tell you what you do. When you are feeling like they've gotten as pretty as they're going to be, just instead of hitting them with your mower, take your pruning shears out and just kind of snip off some of those uh, old seed heads at ground level and just lay them over in the spots you want them and leave them there for a couple of weeks. Let them, you know, drop their seed naturally in those areas. And if the weather cooperates next year, uh, they'll come up very easily. It's it's a very small seed. It'd be hard to try to collect the seed and uh, distribute it. But if you're willing to put up with looks like looks like somebody just forgot to pick up their clippings but it's actually the easiest way to do it just uh you know cut a couple of stems and lay them wherever you'd like to have more of them come up at this stage of their growth and seed production you're almost guaranteed to have plenty of seed there and then if the weather cooperates you'll you'll have a whole yard full of it next year oh well that would be great (laughs) i agree i agree okay and my second question um is we have something we have a decomposed granite, uh, like, sidewalk in the back of the house uh-huh. on the south side. And we have this plant that came up, and I just I ID'd it with my iPhone, so I'm not sure how good that is. But <laughs> it came back to be, <laughs> it, it came back to be uh, something called a barometer plant. Uh, I don't know it by that common name, but describe it to me. So it kind of looks a bit like a succulent and it, it's growing in the decomposed granite in a very mm-hmm. sunny area. And there's now more of them that have popped up. And they're just like kind of like little bushes. And they, they do look kind of like a succulent. Yeah, probably is uh, a wild purslane or something like that. You can either go over them with just a push-pull hoe or something like that and cut them off at ground level. Do dispose of them in the compost pile or somewhere like that. 
or you can make your mixture of vinegar and orange oil, a gallon of strong vinegar, two ounces of orange oil, and just a little bit of molasses and soap added to it. You can spray with that, uh, and it'll kill them back, you know, very effectively. That's one of the beautiful things about decomposed granite is a walkway. When you have weed sprout, just use the vinegar-orange oil mix, spray, you'll kill the weeds, and uh, uh, obviously won't hurt the walkway at all. Right, and what if we wanted to just transplant them because they're kind of cute? <laughs> well, be careful because you may decide they're a noxious weed and because they will spread widely all over the place and they don't really have pretty flowers or anything uh, if, if we're talking about the same thing. If you like them and want to transplant them, uh, do it you know, late in the day, not in the heat of the day, either early morning or late in the day. Water them in with some Garrett Juice or Super Thrive, and uh, you can certainly do that. I would get the ones right at the edge of the walkway because it's hard to get very many of the roots when you're, if your decomposed granite is really packed down. Might want to wet it down first, but uh, and then use something like, oh, even a screwdriver or a dandelion digger or something like that just to loosen the area right around where you want to get the plant up. They're very hardy, very tough. Sometimes they look like they die back when you transplant them, but most of the time, given a week or two, they'll be back out and growing vigorously. I can't promise you that next spring you're not going to say, why did I ever save these things? But if you like them, <laughs> you go ahead and transplant them and enjoy them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good, Bob. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the call this morning. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, Don, I don't have a live here. Let's run the commercials, and we'll get back, and Judy's next in line, I believe. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. My next three callers are Judy, Robin, and Robbie. Judy is first in line. Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Bob. Welcome back. Well, thank you very much. Great trip. Glad to be home. <laughs> it's, it's so good to be home. <laughs> yeah, always. Coming back to Texas is the only way to be. Uh, this uh, spring, I had a beautiful oak tree. It's uh, leafed out just beautiful. And about Easter, all the leaves started falling. Just, It was incredible. So I had the extension agent out here, and he said, too much water. And I thought, what? <laughs> it's uh, about a 20-year-old live oak. Uh-huh. And... Now half of it is alive and half is dead, and I just I can't imagine what caused it. No, I I don't really, I I doubt that it's a water issue at all. Where whereabouts do you live, Judy? What area? In Hallettsville, Lavaca County. Okay. Um, believe it or not, it probably, I'd, I'd go the other direction, is partly due to the drought that we had up until recently and probably a little bit of winter damage. Now, when you have a tree that drops leaves, it's an indication usually of a temporary problem. If you have leaves turn brown and stay on the tree, that's really bad. If the leaves turn brown and stay on the tree, that tree's probably dead or dying. Where they just drop the leaves, it's usually a temporary issue, and the tree comes back out. I would, uh, I don't know that I would, I would fertilize. I don't know how, or I don't know if I'd water. I don't know how much rain you've had in your area. Well, but I, 
Yeah. I, it probably doesn't need to be watered. I would think about putting some fertilizer out. I go to Howard Garrett's website, which is dirtdoctor.com, and look at what he calls the sick tree treatment. Uh, two or three simple steps you can take, being sure the root flare is exposed, and a couple of things you can do that will help that tree come back even better. But if at least half the tree of it has leafed out and those leaves look good, that tree is recovering, and um, I, I don't think long-term you're going to have a problem. But I would take a look at the sick tree treatment, and I'd probably want to follow that. But uh, your tree's coming back, like I say, it uh Dropping some leaves is not all that uncommon, and the fact that it's regrowing tells me that it really doesn't have an ongoing problem. Well, uh, little branches are shooting out along the a limb, and uh, that concerned me too. But uh, Well, and that's, that's a sign that the tree is stressed, and obviously something happened to stress the tree. Uh, even though it's been in a lot of years, I certainly would check the base of the trunk and be sure that it is bare all the way down to where you start seeing those uh, roots flaring out. We call it the root flare. I always say it really ought to be called the trunk flare, but uh, nobody listens. But um, I, it, it, having a lot of growth on the limbs just, in effect, just tells you it's coming back from a stressful situation. I think it's, uh, I, I think the tree is on the road to recovery, but I would, uh, I would look carefully at what may have caused it and, uh, like I say, sick tree treatment's a good idea, even for a healthy tree. Yeah, he told me to cut it down, and I, I'm very reluctant to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't ask for his advice anymore. I don't think he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> tell, well, tell him. Anyway. Tell him to go back to coastal and uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, no, I. You know, so many of them, of these folks are educated in uh, chemical agriculture and just. Sometimes not really well in touch with reality, and I. Uh, anyway, I, I'd, I'd think your tree is recovering. I would do the sick tree treatment. I would uh, um, not water unless we get back into, you know, a prolonged period with no rain. But um, you'll have to be the judge of that. If you could take a little spade and dig a hole inches, six inches down on the ground, and everything's totally dry, well, maybe it's time to water the tree again. But uh, Overwatering, your tree would not have come back like that, and the tree probably the leaves would have died on the tree rather than falling off. So I think you got a bad diagnosis there. It was it was terrible. It was like fall. They were just by bunches and bunches. Mm -hmm. It was sickening. Yeah. But, well, uh, it uh, again, it got cold enough earlier that, you know, live oaks were damaged. They were very irregular in how they came out this spring. And uh, I've seen some that dropped their leaves twice and re-put on the groves. I've seen some of them that normally would have been dropping those leaves in February and March and didn't drop their leaves till uh, you know, end of May. So weird things have gone on, but I don't believe it's a serious problem, and I certainly wouldn't cut the tree down. Well, thank you. I appreciate that because I didn't want to anyway. And uh, <laughs> like the other lady, everybody said, when are you going to mow your lawn? No, my flowers are still beautiful. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> that's, that's why Texas has such beautiful wildflowers. I do have to say that the state waited pretty well uh, before they started mowing the highways. And, you know, it was getting up to the point that could be a site hazard, but... Uh, 
Uh, I'm glad you and your neighbors are doing your part to let the wildflowers reseed before you mow them down. And if Mother Nature just cooperate, we'll have another beautiful show of wildflowers next year. I mean, it was amazing, the blue bonnets and then the red blankets and the Indian uh, paintbrushes. It was just beautiful. And I I don't care if the grass is higher. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, we have been blessed with a beautiful year for wildflowers and, uh, you're doing the right thing, so you just keep up the good work and let me know how that uh, how that oak tree does. Okay, thank you, Bob. You're sure welcome. Thank you. Uh, I believe next goodbye. Next in line is Robin. I believe. Uh, good morning, Robin. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, I found two hammerhead worms in my flower bed yesterday. Okay. And um, I don't know how common they're getting, but uh, ugly creatures. Yeah, they're not dangerous. They're not good for our native earthworm populations, but there's not a lot you can do to totally eliminate them. Uh, I just would, you know, dump them in a little bucket of salty water and don't chop them up because they're, they're actually something we call planarians, and each little piece will just make a new worm. But just... uh. You know, just pick them up with your little shovel. They're not going to bite you or anything. They're kind of slimy, but just pick them up and throw them in some salt water, and that'll be the end of them. Yeah. Okay. Now, I was um, going through our uh, neighborhood the other day, and I saw a beautiful crepe myrtle that I'd never seen before. It uh, was a, a small kind of a bush, only about maybe five, six feet tall, and it had purple blossoms on it, a dark purple. But the leaves were a dark, were almost a purple leaf. Yeah. Yeah, there's some new ones out that, that, yeah, I don't remember the name on them. There are so many new varieties out there. But uh, uh, the leaves are almost black in color. There's a white one, there's a red one, and there's a purple one. Uh, you might call Fanix Nursery here in San Antonio. Mark and Mike know more about crepe myrtles than anybody else in town and have the widest selection. They could probably tell you the name on that one, or you might just Google blackleaf crepe myrtles, and uh, they'll probably come up. But, yeah, they came out about two years ago. Some people like them. Some people don't. But uh, they're just one of the newest and latest hybrids. Okay, thank you. And Here's. my neighbor has... Um, a lemon tree in a pot. It's about mm-hmm. three feet tall. She wants to put it in the ground. Should she? Can she do that now successfully, or should she wait till the fall? Well, planting it now is just fine, but realize that it's going to have to have winter protection. Lemons are not cold-hardy, and if it gets very much below freezing, uh, she will have to cover it or uh, wrap it up or build a little protective structure or something over it. It's just fine to plant them in the yard now, but uh, if we get a cold winter, they won't survive without protection. So be sure she knows what she's doing. A lot of people keep them in pots so they can bring them inside if we have a severe winter. But uh, if she has placing protected, I'd plant it today. Okay, great. And another thing I wanted to tell you, we went to the Festival of Flowers a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. And we really, really enjoyed that, and we enjoyed your uh, organic roundtable very much. Well, appreciate you coming, and glad they got the 
got the Festival of Flowers back to the Alsafar, and hopefully we'll do it again next year and see you there. And appreciate the call, but let me get a break in here, and we'll move forward. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Looks like Robbie and Kathy are my next two callers. Robbie's first. Good morning, Robbie. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm good. I good. I have a couple of questions. I'm trying to figure out how to block the noise from the, the street. I mm-hmm. live in the country, but not. Uh, and I saw a program where they used uh, hay bales. Okay. And was like uh, he was growing like uh, tomato plants and stuff in it. But I was thinking if I stacked them, square bales, and stacked them, and then planted some type of a climbing ivy or something to make the hay bales look nicer, is that a good <laughs> idea or a bad idea? Well, hay is going to decompose, and um, it might make a good, you know, temporary kind of structure but you're unless you're planning to move and i hope you're not in the near future i would want to do something a little bit more permanent um we faced a bit of that problem up in bernie when they were developing the her farm and they actually bermed the area up just with soil and then planted it with different things uh there are some plants if you have a way to water that just the foliage alone tends to be sound muffling and uh, there, there are a lot of different things to do. And, you know, they actually make houses out of hay bales, but they've plastered them over and done things to make them weatherproof. And if you've got old spoiled hay or things like that, that's, that's a very short-term solution. Uh, but six months from now, that hay is going to break down and you're going to be starting over. And the plants that tried to grow up it are then going to get buried with whatever you replace it with. Uh, Believe me, I know about the problem of living in the quiet country and then having noisy things put in around you, in my case, a steward treatment plant rather than just neighbors. But um, there there are lots of things you can do, and foliages are a great way to muffle and reduce that sound. But uh, even though it's it's more trouble and more work, I'd, I'd be doing something a little more permanent. Now, if you wanted to do a combination of hay and just, you know, a little bit of just... Uh, Native soil, that would be fine, but uh, I'd, I'd look at a more permanent berm than just hay bales. Do you think uh, the purple sage would make a good sound barrier? If you get the old-fashioned stuff that gets 8 or 10 feet tall, yes. Uh, most of your newer varieties are bred to be a little bit more compact because they you know, are much more attractive. But um, that, uh, used in combination with uh, a number of other things, could make an absolutely beautiful berm. I'd be looking, uh, sage would be one good plant. The old native, uh, or the original abelia is something flowers all summer and stays evergreen. Uh, If you're in an area where mountain laurels do well, mountain laurels are one of the best things you can plant because they're very dense foliage. They require almost no water once they're established. And... uh, Nice fragrant flowers and almost no no problems. There are a bunch of different native things that you could put. And I, if I were doing it, I probably would do sort of a mixed um, area along there with some things that were evergreen, some things that were deciduous. I might include some Mexican buckeyes in there, maybe some possum ha holly. 
you can make this, uh, you know, a beautiful visual barrier as well as something that would muffle sound very well. Yeah, well, the purple, I mean, uh, uh, the mountain laurels will survive because this, this area has a lot of sun. Uh, they will grow to 15 feet given time and a little bit of nutrient. But uh, if you're going to plant anything woody, don't use the hay bales because that's going to rob a lot of the nutrient from the soil. But if you're going to burn, burn it up with soil, um, yeah, they will grow quite large and uh, and, and surprisingly quickly. Okay. Uh, second question. I did a bunch of shredding of old, you know, paperwork and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I looked at that bag and thinking trash can or my compost. But I'm, I was curious. Because, you know, it's a mixture of, with the uh, uh, color paper as well. And no, it's virtually all, virtually all the inks today are soy inks, and they're going to be just fine in the compost. Uh, unless they're fully broken down, they can also be used as a good mulch in the garden. Don't work them into the soil until they stop looking like paper and start looking more like dirt. But uh, virtually, virtually all the papers out there will compost just fine. And if you're running them through a paper shredder first, that's really going to speed the process of decomposition up. Very good thing to do. Yeah, I did that. Do uh, a shredder, but it was like the long strips. Mm -hmm. it's, but it's my paper shredder. Yeah. And I, just, <laughs> I, that bag and I really don't yeah. want to put that in my, my trash can, but. No. Yeah, it's most everything. I mean, some of it, uh, the newspapers are all soy inks, but most of the printed material that you're likely to come across is going to be totally non-toxic. So, yeah, I'd, I'd sure go to the compost pile with it rather than the landfill. Okay, or I can put it around my, like my uh, flower bed. Stuff. Sure, sure. Do I need to weight it down, or how are you going to keep it from just, like, blowing away? Water it down good. Once it gets wet, it's going to stay in place pretty well with just your ordinary watering. Okay. But this heat would be like every other day. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> All right, sir. You have a good one. You do the same. Appreciate the call. Thank you. All right, let's try and get Kathy in here before the news break. Um, Kathy, if we run short on time, we'll just hold you through and talk afterwards. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, I have a question. How do you get rid of spiders? And are these in the garden? Are they in the house? They're where? in the house. They're in the garden. Well, actually, I don't care about them. I don't have a garden. Yeah. But uh, they're in the house, and they're all over my front porch. It's just like I can't. It doesn't matter what I spray on them. It's like yeah. they're there. If you if you put a little bit of ammonia in your spray, it will dissolve the webs, and there'll be much less of a problem. Uh, believe me, I live in a 100-year-old two-story house, and I could write a book on all the spiders that want to get into my house. And I go after them with a vacuum sweeper more than anything else, but I don't know of anything that will really prevent them. But if whatever kind of spray cleaner or anything you're using, add a little bit of ammonia to it, and it dissolves that web material, and it makes it much more attractive and discourages the spiders. Well, I've got some, you know, like you said, the little... Uh, yellow jacket things and mm -hmm. some other little bugs that fly around and 
I thought maybe they'd take care of it. <laughs> Although the yellow jackets are great at taking care of caterpillars and all sorts of that. I always leave the yellow jackets alone. But um, the spiders, they just when we live in the country, we've got bugs. The spiders eat the bugs. Well, I'm, and... in, I'm in town in the brothels. <laughs> Well, you you you're in an area that was open land in the not too distant past. But um, again, right. ammonia in a spray and a vacuum sweeper are about all that I found. I've heard of people spraying coconut to repel them, but I haven't seen that uh, be real good. Hold on, if you like, we'll be right back here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, you know, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone calls. Clients are hanging around this morning, I tell you. It's it's gonna be a gonna be a nice day at least until the sun comes through and hope you're outside enjoying it if possible. Looks like we're gonna talk to Martin and Sandra and David. Martin is first in line. Good morning, Martin. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Hey, Bob. I've got some bamboo that's getting too close to my fence, and I need to, like, kill it back. And I heard you say something about diesel and molasses. You can use that if you don't plan to plant anything else in the area. That's kind of a soil sterilant. Normally, it's not necessary. Bamboo, even though it can it can be invasive, it doesn't, contrary to what a lot of people think, it doesn't come back from the roots. Bamboo makes a very shallow kind of an underground runner. It's no more than an inch or two under the ground. And you can get out there and in just a few minutes with a grub and hoe, just kind of slice down underneath it, cut the roots, and uh, you will be rid of it without harming the soil. Uh, you certainly can kill it uh, with the diesel, and then you gradually, uh, your molasses will break down the residue that's left behind. And that's what, you know, that's certainly what I do with mesquite and some woody stuff that's just almost impossible to eliminate but bamboo is just is is not that not that difficult to get under control if i wanted to use the diesel and molasses what would the mixture be it's hard to mix them i used to mix them you know about half and half in all honesty uh it just doesn't stay mixed up very well and i found i get pretty much the same results just using straight diesel and then going back and following it up later with uh molasses on top of it, either a diluted liquid molasses, about half and half water of molasses, or even dry molasses. So um, for years, I tried to mix them together, and I found that I was just shaking constantly, stirring constantly. I started doing it separately because, uh, you know, the diesel is what you're using to kill. The molasses is what you're using to clean up the diesel residue. But don't do it over the root trees of, or over the roots of uh, trees that you want to protect. This is something strictly for pasture land or open fields or open fence lines where you don't have a vegetation you want close close by. Okay, Bob. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're certainly welcome. I appreciate the call, Martin. Thank you, sir. Sandra's next. Good morning, Sandra. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Um, good, good morning. So I got I got a peach tree that with all the rain, I noticed this mushroom growing out of the bottom of it and did a little research and found out it's an artist conch mushroom, which everything I can find out about it, it will eventually kill this tree. And I need this tree to provide some shade for a pergola. So I'm not going to pull it out of the ground or kill it just yet or, or do anything with it until it, it looks like it's really struggling. But my question is, 
I still need to put something so that I can provide some shade for this pergola. It gets straight on western sun. Mm-hmm. And so can I plant another tree in that spot oh, without yeah. it getting yeah. infected and killed too? It it What you're looking at is a type of fungus that tends to attack dead wood in trees. It very seldom is going to be in living tissue, but you get... You get short-lived trees like peaches and things. They get some dead wood in them, and then they get some of these different fungi started in that. But unless a tree is planted too deeply in the ground or badly stressed, it's not going to spread from one tree to another. So I would think about, uh, much as I love fresh peaches, where you're looking for a permanent shade tree, I think they're much better choices. Uh, what, What area are you in? Northwest San Antonio, out okay. around SeaWorld. Yeah, look at, uh, I wouldn't plant live oak or red oak because you do have some oak wilt out in that area, but the so-called Monterey oak, Mexican live oak, is the fastest growing of the oaks, and uh, it will give you nice shade. It's evergreen most years unless we get a really cold winter. Another good fast-growing tree is cedar elm. A lot of people want the shade in the summer, but the sun in the winter and cedar elm is a great choice um you know in that situation if you want a deciduous tree that is extremely fast growing and makes a very large tree uh look at mexican sycamore it'll be 30 40 feet tall in less than 10 years but uh well, the reason it is... i had put the the reason i had put the peach tree in is cuz i needed to be able to keep it small and i and i kept it small um, and so what I was thinking is about a, maybe a dwarf variety of crepe myrtle. So I still got the pretty pink flowers, but I don't. Yeah. Well, but I don't myr- get um, crepe, crepe myrtles a, a tall ne- tree. Yeah, crepe myrtle is the next thing I was going to mention to you. You don't really want a dwarf. The dwarfs aren't going to be big enough to give you shade. But just go by variety and get a variety that's going to grow 12, 15 feet tall. Yeah, uh, that's red, what I need. Something that's yeah, not too tall. Red Rocket would be pretty, Dynamite would be pretty, Natchez would be pretty if you want a white. Um, there are a lot of different crepe myrtles that fall into that kind of medium-sized range, and they would be ideal. Like you say, you get the benefit of beautiful flowers, and I've never seen a year when crepe myrtles were as pretty as they are this year. So right. uh, I, that, that would be one of the best things, as long as you realize that it is going to be deciduous, you are going you are gonna to get the sun mm-hmm. there in the winter months on that pergola. Very good, very good. All right. Thank you very much, Bob. I appreciate it. Well, it's a great pleasure. I appreciate the call. You have a wonderful day. Appreciate it, Sandra. And let's see here. Yeah, we've got time to take another call before we take a break, and that would be David. Good morning, David. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, sir? Oh, I just came in. (laughs) (laughs) Sweating a little bit early in the morning, then. Oh, yes, sir. I was out there watering my roses. Yep. And, uh, and it got kind of hot, so I came in taking a break. Ah, it's <laughs> a good cold. idea for a little early for an adult beverage, but uh, a good glass <laughs> of iced tea or, uh, you know, just water at Ultima or something like that. Uh, you'll be ready to go back to work in just a few minutes. Oh, yes, sir. You got it right. Listen, I have a question on my roses. Yes, sir. Uh, I had some, I had a rose bush that, that was growing real tall. Mm-hmm. And I I cut some of the branches off, and um, some of the others ones too, and they're turning they're turning black. Well, could I prune them? Yeah, they're turning black. What is that? Um, it that's natural, really. Um, you can get something. It's, it's called cane dieback. 
Uh, if just an inch or two of it turns uh, black like that, it's no problem. If it seems to be spreading down the stem, I would go maybe an inch below that point and cut it again. And wipe your pruning shears off with uh, orange oil or with alcohol or Clorox or something like that. Because there are some diseases that you can transfer on the blades of your pruning shears and not real common but uh, i do see it periodically on roses and it's just critical on on things that are susceptible to virus like orchids and all we always sterilize not between every cup but when we move from one plant to the next plant we'll sterilize uh, our shears in between times and that's a that's a good idea roses as pretty as they are in some ways, are kind of wimps as far as getting diseases and things like that. I doubt if you have a problem there. I think it's just going to be maybe a half an inch of the stem's going to turn brown, and then it's going to sprout out below that and come out. But if it seems to be moving further down, if it seems to be what we call cane dieback, you're going to need to go below that point and cut with some, you know, good, good sharp, clean shears. Um, and you might even, you know, you might even treat that cut with a little bit of hydrogen peroxide or something like that. That's great garlic on them. That's fine too. That's yeah, that's that's fine too. On that nutsage that I had some time ago that I told you about. Yeah. It was around my roses and uh-huh. it jumped to my yard. So I'm sanitizing my whole yard now, and I'm fixing to get uh, some more grass on there. Well. Yeah, nutsedge. Yeah, it it is an invasive plant. It doesn't really hurt things, but it's very unattractive. But um, the things that they use to try to kill it are will kill your roses and other things as well. So uh, you're best to treat it with molasses in a dry period. Uh, it won't work overnight, but you know, treat it, treat it again in a couple of weeks, and usually the nutsedge will just all of a sudden, you look out there and it's gone. It just kind of turns yellow and rots away. And uh, molasses works very well against it, but uh, be you know be sure not to be watering too frequently because uh, the nut sedge and other sedges are actually aquatic plants. And if the soil stays really moist, there's nothing going to get rid of them. Oh, okay. Now, I uh, I sprayed some with my water can this morning. Uh huh. All around my molasses. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I water all around my roses this morning. Well, that's yeah, a good thing. That's a good thing to do. Do it with molasses again in about two weeks, and then it should slowly start rotting away for you. Good, good. I'm glad. Okay, Bob. You have a good one. Take care. You, you do the same, David. <laughs> I'll do my very best. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, got some open lines. Uh, give me a call. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Don, let's get a break out of the way and come back and help folks with more phone calls. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening, back to the phone lines. It's going to be Charlie and Audrey and Chris. Charlie is first in line. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, My... um. Oak trees dropping a lot of leaves, you know, as if it was February or March again. Is that just, right? I was thinking that might just be due to going from a wet to to a instantly dry. 
Well, they do it every spring anyway. The the schedules guys seems to have gotten kind of messed up between the severe cold earlier and then dry and then wet and then dry again. But uh, it's really totally normal for live oaks to drop every every leaf on the tree every year. This year they spread it out over a little bit longer period of time. And there's some areas in the country where we're really fighting some locusts that are doing some damage eating the new leaves as they come back out but haven't seen much of that in town but your tree's putting on new leaves now isn't it uh, i'd have to look um yeah it doesn't look you know no big bare spots or anything and yeah and no, all, it, all the brown leaves are falling so yeah you know, i've heard you say if they're staying in the tree then you may have issues but uh, yeah you're a good listener sounds like your yard is exactly like mine so i don't think there's anything to be concerned about okay and uh, another question on the salvia gregii. Um, mm-hmm. After the, you know, after the flowers, you know, after it blooms and then the flowers drop, and then there's that little, really thin branch or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> right. Um, um, do can I cut that back or do I leave it there or? It's up to you. Um, Gregii tends to have kind of like a crepe myrtle. The little stem that produced the flowers is dead. It's going to branch out below that point and continue to grow and produce more flowers. Gregii is just one of the hardiest, best perennials we have. But if you want it to look really nice, you probably want to go through and just, you know, snip those off. Uh, I think it's good to cut them back two or three times a year anyway. Uh, it just keeps them a little bit denser and fuller and seems to improve the blooming. But uh, once the flowers have fallen, that little outer three inches is not going to do anything else and look a lot nicer if you snip it off. Right. Yeah, that's it. I'd, I'd agree. Yeah, that's what I was going to do. I just wasn't sure if it grows, grew anything grew out from that. But. No, it, it'll I'll, grow out below through. that point, but uh, everything there where the flowers are is uh, is all done once those pretty blooms drop. Okay, um, that was it for today. So I Charlie, you ask, you ask good questions. Call me back again. Yes, sir. Take care. Yeah, all right. Thanks so much. Goodbye. All right, uh, next in line is Audrey. Good morning, Audrey. Hi, good morning. Um, good morning to you. <laughs> I guess I'm doing pretty good for heat, and I think I'm about to lose my garden, so I'm not too happy with all the hard work I put in. Um <laughs> It'll be time for so, the fall garden soon, and um, it's, yeah. yeah, it's it's it went from a very pleasant year to a very hot year. All of a sudden, I'm I'm ready for El Nino to kick in and start giving us more moisture <laughs> and cooler temperatures. But unfortunately, we can't rush it. So hopefully, it'll get here soon. But uh, how can I, I help today? Yeah, I hope so. So I I did I I um my first question that I was talking about him just quickly are my Pole beans and my bush beans. I did plant those. They grew nice, not crazy. Almost looks like Jack and the Beanstalk. Beautiful. Right. Well, the pole beans, and then I got the bush beans, of course. Um, something started eating the leaves on those, but I was able to tell neither one of them are producing. Is I know I got to yeah. start planting them, but like again, they grew on the. They look like they want to bloom, but I can't get yep. them to flower, so I'm not producing anything right now. I will, I'll tell you that the pole beans, when we have cooler summers, they can, you know, one, one plant can continue to produce over a long period of time. 
Uh, right. They just they're just not liking the heat. I I quit planting them about three years ago because the production was so poor. Uh, bush beans should produce very well, but they only produce for about six or eight weeks. So if you like green beans, you just replant. Uh, my favorite early spring bush bean is one called Tavera, T-A-V-E-R-A, but it doesn't okay. do as well in the heat. In the heat, I switch over to Contender is probably my favorite. Uh, top yeah. crop is also a very good one. But uh, you, you're, if you want to keep eating uh, green beans all summer, you're going to be planting a new crop of beans about every 8 to 10 weeks. So it's it's normal for them to come on and produce heavily. You don't have to have a lot of plants to pick a lot of beans, but they're going to go by the wayside uh, after a few weeks. So you just go back right in the same spot or right next to it. Go ahead and uh, plant a fresh crop. Can I? Well, how do I even get them to flower? They're they're just growing very long and leggy, but no, no I haven't been able to. Um, generate any green beans or flowers for them. To are they generate. are they out in full sun? No, um, it's actually quite shaded. It's it's that's, partial sun and partial shade. Yeah, that's that's the problem. They want full sun. Beans do not like any shade whatsoever. And believe it or not, as long as you keep them watered, you know they will tolerate this hot sun. Like I say, they're only going to produce for six to ten weeks. But uh, right. if they're if they're not getting full sun, you're not going to be able to get them to flower, no matter what you do. Oh. It's 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 good to fertilize. I use has to grow plant and uh, yeah. try to feed every couple of weeks. But uh, your problem is just you planted them in too much shade. Plant your next crop out in the sunniest spot you've got, and uh, they'll okay. actually love it. Oh, okay. I'll do that. Can I start them now, or or do I need to wait until the sun um, this heat reduces? You need to wait till Dr. Kirby and I get through doing his show, and then then as long as you're wearing a good hat to please your dermatologist and drinking plenty of fluids this afternoon, it'll be a fine time to plant your next crop. Oh, trust me, it'll be after six o'clock. It, it won't take long. I already have the spot ready. I have the perfect spot. The ground is ready. <laughs> well, <laughs> you put the soak your seed for not a long time, maybe ten minutes before you yeah. plant, and those little plants okay. will be up and growing in about four or five days. Oh, speaking of soaking, I've been soaking um, certain seeds, like my melons and my, I, I soak my pole beans in a very small amount of peroxide and about a cup of water, and they literally bloomed, um, they started um, um, germinating overnight. Yeah, I, I use they, uh, Howard Garrett's, uh, what's called Garrett juice, and, oh, um, yeah. and but you, whatever's working for you, keep on doing it. I've not tried the peroxide, but... Uh, um, yeah. I, my only problem with peroxide, of course, is it is such a good antibacterial product, but beans have a beneficial bacteria on their roots that helps to actually take okay. nitrogen out of the air and turn it into fertilizer. They, they still need some more, but they're, to some extent, they're building the soil and improving the soil. I'm not sure right. if the peroxide's going to mess that up or not, but, uh, if it works for you, keep doing, but, um, try and, and again, Squash, melons, things like that, you can soak them for 20 or 30 minutes. Mount laurels, you ought to soak for several hours. But beans, you should just soak for, you know, no more than 5 to 10 minutes because more than that, it'll soften the seed to where it may be damaged in planting. Oh, that's good to know. Okay, that's perfect. And if you have time, I just have one more uh, go right, go right ahead. Is it okay for me to? Uh, is it? Can I replant my okra and beets because those the heat got those too? 
not in the beets. The beets, you're going to want to wait till about October to replant your beets. But uh, okay. the okra should continue to produce. If you want to plant some more okra, it loves the hot soil. As long as you keep it watered, that seed will yep. come up and grow in a big hurry. But keep watering the okra you have because even though it may drop some leaves, if you give it the moisture, it ought to produce all the way up until uh, September at the very least. Oh, okay, yeah, still hanging in there, so that's a good sign. Okay, well, yeah, thank you yeah. so much for your time. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate the phone call this morning. You have a wonderful afternoon. Okay. Thank you so much. All right, uh, Don, let's go ahead and get another break out of the way. Chris will be up first when we come back. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening. Lots of good questions today. You guys are just uh, the best answer. answer re- ask really good questions. Uh, looks like it's going to be Chris and Hank and Lydia. Chris is first in line. Good morning, Chris. Hey, Bob. Uh, good morning. I'm retiring at the end. Good morning. I'm retiring at the end of the month and moving to Mathers. Okay. And I want to put some fruit trees in. What is it too far south to put peaches or anything in like that? You can grow peaches as far south as Mathis, but you're going to need to get the very low chilling varieties because, you know, the chill hours are below 45 degrees. But, um, oh, golly, I, I, you know, there's uh, one called Rio Gold. There's some that they actually developed for the uh, for the valley area. So as long as you're getting a tree that's down in the 350-hour chill range, uh, you'll do fine with peaches. Um, you should be able to. You know, if you like figs, they're going to grow like a weed for you down in Mathis. Uh, uh, Figs, yeah, they'd be one of the easiest things. You're far enough south that you're going to have to cover occasionally, but uh, a lot of good citrus grown down around uh, your area. And we've had a couple of rough years, but uh, limes, lemons, um, things like your satsumas now, they're going to be virtually never need any protection. Satsumas will go down into the almost down to the teens without damage. So, um, if you like oranges or tangerines, as I oh, guess we, uh, they they will do extremely well for you in that area. Um, pears are going to be so-so. Plums are not going to be long-lived, but uh, you'll probably you can as, as long as you're not expecting the trees to live more than ten years or so. You could plant Santa Rosa or Methley or some of the different plums. Those are all going to do well for you. I think apples, no, you're not going to do well with them. Uh, Asian persimmons, uh, maybe, maybe not. They're going to be not real happy in the uh, uh, summer months. Uh, now, avocados, especially the Mexican avocados, which are more cold-hardy, those should be an excellent tree for your garden as well. Uh, they don't look exactly like the ones you get in the grocery store, but Joey and uh, they're, they're, they're a bunch of different avocados you should do real well with. Yeah, I'd already planned on avocados. Very uh, good. Okay, that's all I had, sir. Appreciate it. Well, you're certainly welcome. Um, do you, you Obviously, you know exactly where you're going to be. Do you have a relatively thick soil layer? How far down do you have to dig before you hit that... Uh, hard pan clay that you've got not too far down in that area. I've, I've, I've never hit it, and I'm right on the lake, uh, and I've never hit it. So, Well, you're in good shape. I was going to tell you to think about creating a little bit of a raised bed, a little bit of a bermed-up area. 
Um, that would be the best way to be sure that you can bring in some little bit better soil and have plenty of room for the roots to grow, if that works. If it were me, I would do something a little bit more attractive, but I had an old cousin who, what he did, <laughs> and I guess he, he, he kind of liked the East Texas look, as I called it, or something, but he actually piled up two or three tires, filled them with soil, planted his fruit trees in those, and grew extremely good fruit trees that way, and, uh, just just one the most attractive yard wise but if you're if your garden's out of sight or the place you're going to plant you could even consider doing something like that it'd be a great way to grow them well i've used tractor tires to put uh, potatoes in <laughs> and that's uh old malcolm beck's the one that got started i started doing that years ago and uh not not quite as attractive as some of the fabric beds that you can use for potatoes but uh you no, obviously know what you're it doing works. it works so all right, do, you, do, have a good weekend. You do the same thing. Let me let me tell you a couple of things, Chris. Um, one thing I would do is uh, send a soil sample down to Texas Plant and Soils Labs down in Edinburgh. Um, they give that. you, yeah, they they give you a, a good test. Uh, unlike the universities, uh, they give you a test that tells you what is actually in your soil that's available to your plants. And get a good water test, too. See where you are as far as sodium and a couple of other things. And um, um, if you find that, uh, you know, you're really high in dissolved solids and things, uh, you may possibly want to uh, use a potassium-based water softener. If you're planting anything that's real sensitive, most of your nurseries down in that area actually put in a commercial RO system, reverse osmosis system, uh, for you know, some, both fruit trees and gardening. So you're in an area where you've got, in some areas, good soil, in some areas, pretty marginal. In some areas, you've got real good water. In some areas, your water is um, not quite toxic waste, but it's not what you're really looking for. But uh, Texas Plant and Soils Labs is uh, real reasonable on their soil test prices. You can talk to your water district down there about where the best place to get a good water test is. Well, they, you know, I, I don't drink the water. I, I but I use it on the lawn, and the lawn seems to work just fine. Oh, yeah, the lawn's very tolerant. Um, if you haven't already done so, make the investment in some rainwater catchment, too, because that's that's the best and most reliable source water source you're going to have. And average house, you can collect you know, 30,000, 40,000 gallons of water a year. So I think it's a real good investment for somebody that's uh, looking to grow things as well as drink good water. That's a good idea. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Appreciate the call and good Have luck good on day. your new in, your new venture. And uh, I think KTSA signal uh, carries that far, so keep listening. I appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Uh, next in line is Hank. Uh, good morning, Hank. Good morning, Bob. Morning, uh, I sir. Gotta share, I got to share something I called back oh maybe two or three months ago about a pear tree that was getting. And then Danny was squirrels, and he told he told me to get something like a tree, um, like a, what'd you call that? To put a guard. tree. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. guard. There you go. A- anyway, uh, I put my thinking hat on, and I molded over, molded over. I finally put some, uh, uh, those sunscreens you put on your windshield yeah. for your cars. That, yeah. Yeah, that aluminum stuff, and I just tie-wrapped it all the way around, and that eliminated that. Uh, oh, good. Still, they just still come in through the utility wires and jump from one tree to another. 
<laughs> they still yeah. get there. But I, I got a slingshot and a BB gun and none thunder control. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> good. And, uh, yeah, that's a great idea. You know, I'm afraid they'll you'll have to replace them periodically. But no, that's no. Ever since I put them on, that was it. They kind of stayed away from that. Well, that's good. That's good. As yeah. long, as, I, I'm afraid the the screens themselves ultimately will decompose because they're plastic oh, base but uh yeah, yeah. It, just grab another one and put it up there and tell those exactly. little bushy-tailed tree rats to go somewhere else but, but i i had to come up way up towards the bottom limb when i did the, the initial wrap i put it kind of low no they and just they, jumped right over it <laughs> it's amazing how high they can jump but sounds oh, like you defeated yeah. them. that's a great thing so the next thing i have a uh on my patio i have a jacuzzi that uh, we keep seeing a whole bunch of, uh, oh, what do you call it, uh, remnants of, seems like a, something's, something's getting to the insulation at the bottom of the jacuzzi. Okay. It's probably termites. Okay. I'm just, or some, we can't tell. We never see the actual bug or whatever is eating it. We just see all the residue of the okay. foam that's, that's, that's hanging around the bottom of the tub. If, if, you, if it's termites... They actually live in the ground and then come okay. up above into, you know, wood or whatever else to feed. And if you use some beneficial nematodes, that will eliminate the termites very quickly, very safely, and it'll get 100% of them. If it's ants, um, I would think about getting some uh, orange oil. Medina packages right. are real good orange oil. And make it fairly strong. Make it like maybe four to six ounces per gallon. And just okay. use that to pour all around the base of your jacuzzi. It'll kill the ants almost instantly. And um, that's especially true of the wood-eating ants, like the carpenter ants and things like that. I think the combination of that plus your beneficial nematodes to take care of the termites, I think that'll solve your problem quickly and totally. Okay. So we we really don't... So ants can be uh, destructive like that to tear up insulation? It's oh, there are there are over over a hundred different kinds of ants in Texas, okay. and okay. yes, some of them uh, what they call carpenter ants or wood eating ants. Uh, many right. different kinds of insulation. They're not going to get after the you know the fiberglass kind of stuff, but a lot of insulation is actually made from a pulp product. It's really good insulation, uh, but the ants will get into that just like they get into okay. into boards. Okay, so I have some orange oil here. I mix about three, you said about. Uh, four ounces to the gallon? About four ounces to a gallon. Spray it around anywhere you see them. If yes, you sir. see an actual mound on the ground, go ahead and just saturate that thoroughly. It'll be totally safe for you and your animals and everything else, but it'll it'll kill the ants almost immediately. Fantastic. One more last question. We have time. Yes, sir. I'm, Absolutely. I'm starting to trim up my trees. I got live oaks and uh, live oaks and red oaks, and I hired a tree trimmer that was undependable and but he did my neighbors, and I saw how he did it. So, and so I fired him. He did a great job over there. So I started doing it myself. Yes, and sir. And when I'm trimming all the little bitty guys in the, the size of a what, um, under a, under size of a pencil, basically, do I need uh -huh. to seal those too? If you're trimming live oaks, yes. Any wounds you make on the tree could, uh, you know, exude some sap. And that's what's going to be attractive to the so-called sap beetles or nitty-doodle beetles or ambrosia beetles. And those are the little guys that carry in the spores for uh, oak wilt. So um, right. it, it's best on a, a live oak or a red oak. 
uh, best right. to, to coat every wound. Now, it doesn't have to be pruning paint. You can use any kind of spray paint. You only have to keep the wound sealed for about for less than two weeks, and then it's not a problem uh, because okay. it dries to where the fungus can't get started. But uh, you could use shellac. You could use nail polish. You could use anything that's going to yeah, seal just, it up for just, just a few days. Just, yeah, just, just spray paint. You have to but, spray paint, whatever color. It doesn't matter. As long as you, even though it's teeny-weeny, it's the size of a pencil, basically. Yes, sir. I mean, pencil lead. Yeah, yeah. It's, okay. It's, it's, it's kind of like up, going to I... the going to the doctor when you hurt yourself uh, in an agricultural area. Doesn't matter if it's a if it's a deep scratch or if it's a small puncture wound or you know if it's something you had require stitches. Even that uh, even that small puncture wound could you get tetanus or various other infectious things there. So it's not really the size that matters. It's the uh, susceptibility to it and. Unfortunately, pretty much throughout Texas, we, we've got oak wheels as a real problem now. So uh, it's just prune with the saw in one hand and your little spray can in the other and take your time and do it right. Yes, sir. We thank you so much. You have a great day. Thank you, Hank. You get out and do have a wonderful day as well. Appreciate the call. Uh, let's see. Uh, Don, let's get our last break of the show out of the way, and Lydia will be up first when we come back. At the break of dawn, I got my GPS and my frog dogs on. I got every kind of bait a man might need. Well, there's a little rain, but I don't care. I'm like a boy scout, always prepared to handle just about anything. Some folks call me crazy, some tell me get a life. To me, there's nothing better than to spend all of That's where I get my kicks out on the water. Hey, oh, Don, you've done it again. It's, uh, uh, yeah, I was waiting for him to mention fishing, but there are a lot of fun things you could do out on the water. And, you know, you know the good engineer, Don Cooper Stevens, is hard at work in there when we get a, a good fishing song or something closely related for the last commercial break of the show. <laughs> Always always puts a smile on my face, and I certainly hope it does everybody else's as well. Uh, looks like we're going to talk to Linda and then to George. We'll see if there's time for more after that, but we'll start with Linda. Good morning, Linda. Hi. <clears throat> Hi. Um, I have lots of zinnias, and they have mildew now, I guess because of all the clouds. And right. do, do Are only the leaves affected, or are the flowers affected too? Ninety-eight percent of the problem will be to the leaves. The flowers typically go on being, you know, not much bothered by it. I'll tell you one thing you can do, and it's a little late on this crop, but um, the way the mildew gets started is if the leaves have a droplet of water on them, and then the fungus spore lands in that water, then it germinates and grows. If a fungus spore lands on a dry leaf, nothing happens. So zinnias are one plant where, if you can, it's best to water by just laying the hose on the ground or water them right at ground level rather than, you know, just spraying over them like we do with so many plants. The other thing that will reduce fungal mildew problems on zinnias is to spray periodically with just liquid garlic. You can make your own or you can get products like garlic barrier and mosquito barrier, but the garlic stimulates so many beneficial fungi that there's just not much room for 
the uh, uh, mildew and the other uh, bad fungi to get started. But um, it's it's really not going to affect your flowers that much. Now, uh, are you growing the little profusion zinnias or dreamlands or what kind of zinnias are you growing? They're real tall. Okay. Most of the old-fashioned tall zinnias don't last all summer anyway. They're pretty plants. You can use them as cut flowers, but when they start looking ugly, it's time to pull them up and plant a fresh crop. Um, back when I grew more zinnias, I'd usually plant three crops per summer to have uh, zinnias, you know, all summer long. The only problem was the horses that leaned over the fence and ate the flowers off of them. But it's it's normal that, that they are not an all-summer crop, but... Uh, Again, they don't mind the heat. You can you can replant more than once if you like. Uh, you might look. There is a new series, not new, probably is about four or five years old now. But there's a tall series of zinnias called Dreamland, and you can get them as a mix, or you can get straight colors. But the Dreamlands seem to go much longer through the summer, and you don't always have to replant them. But just your old common zinnias. Worth the trouble, but it's not unusual that you have to plant two or three crops of them. The little low ones called profusions, boy, they ought to be pretty all the way up till, you know, Halloween uh, without any extra effort. So um, anyway, just a, a lot of information about zinnias. I love them. They're one of the most colorful flowers out there, and uh, you can cut them and bring them in the house, and they'll last for a week in a vase. So a lot of good things to say about zinnias. Thank you for that. And what I wanted to ask, well, I keep... Uh, tearing up the the real dried ones and throwing them back in the pot and they come up. But what I want to tell you is the lesser goldfinches and the cardinals, but especially the lesser goldfinches just love eating the zinnias. You know, they'll hang on oh, them yeah. and, and eat out the middle <laughs> and then they eat the leaves. So mm -hmm. I'm afraid to put anything on them because I don't want it to hurt them. Well, the garlic's not going to hurt them at all. Okay. And uh, it's... Uh, uh, and, and even if you were to put, if you had an insect issue, or not an insect issue, but, you know, problem with squirrels or anything, I would tell you to uh, put some hot pepper oil in with your sprays because it's really interesting. We do this with bird seed, but uh, birds don't taste heat. Birds don't taste uh, pepper. And if you ever have a problem with squirrels and things like that, since you're obviously a bird lover, uh, just, you know, coat your seed or there is actually a new bird seed out there called flaming hot that has already been coated the birds love it because they don't taste the heat but the troublesome characters like the raccoons and squirrels won't eat it they get one bite of it and head for the nearest water dish and don't come back when they start bothering the seed i put cayenne pepper on them as doing and the they same don't thing come back. yeah doing the same thing but uh garlic will not bother not bother your birds in the least and okay. i'm i'm a big fan of uh Lesser goldfinches, of, well, of all the goldfinches and uh, and cardinals and uh, some of the blue jays, not all of them, but it's just it's amazing all the beautiful things you can you can bring into a garden with the appropriate flowers, and it sounds like you're doing real well at that. Because I listen to you, but um, <laughs> I want you to not add the sparrows to that list. Well, the some of our native I don't sparrows like the now. Sparrows. Yeah, Pardon? the. The rufous crowned sparrows, uh, the chipping sparrows, are some native sparrows that are kind of attractive. But the imported English sparrow, no, they can all go back to England. I, uh, they're, <laughs> they, they tend to become a problem as do white-winged doves, as do brown-headed cowbirds. 
But uh, there are a lot of other nice birds out there, though. And uh, some things, not so much the sparrows, but they actually, uh, and I, I deal with Kyle out at Wild Birds Unlimited a great deal, but uh, they're, they're feeders out there, and they're for people who are feeding the birds, there are some different seed mixes that will exclude some of the sparrows and some of those things we don't like as well. Okay, but what I meant is they come in gangs, they eat everything and leave. Yeah. So um, I have little chickadees. But anyway, so thank you so much for talking to me. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. I appreciate the call this morning. You have a wonderful Sunday, Linda. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. All right. guess we'll finish the show up today with George. Good morning, George. Good morning, sir. Good morning. I've got a question. I've got a question about uh, I've got okra, mm-hmm. and I'm getting fire ants up in the blooms and on on the fruit itself. Also, what can I do yep. to get rid of that? There is a bait that you can put out. It's called Come and Get It uh, by Fertilome. Uh, put it out early in the morning. Put it out in the evening. It's attractive to the fire ants. It's totally non-poisonous. You do not have to worry about using it in the vegetable garden. Um, but you can put that bait out, and that will normally get rid of the fire ants. The ants carry it down into the mound, feed it to the queen, and the whole mound dies out. If you know where the mounds are, then you can just use some orange oil and water and just soak the mound. Don't use it right around okra roots, because orange oil can burn the roots if you get it very strong. But um, I'd, I'd start with the Come and Get It by Fertilome. And then anywhere you actually see the mounds, if they're as much as a few inches away from the okra roots, just mix up some spinosad and water and just drench that mound thoroughly, and you will definitely get the fire ants under control. They, uh, they, they're a real pain. I, they, they love okra for whatever reason, and uh, you don't know it until you've already picked the okra and put it in the bag, and all of a sudden they're coming out of the pods. And uh, I don't know, I hate fire ants. But the come and get it will help. Orange oil and water will also help. Do I just dust that on the plant itself or uh, uh, on the ground? On the ground. And the ants will pick it up, take it back to uh, the mound, feed the queen, and it's a commercial says everybody dies. Okay. That'll work then. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it. You enjoy your okra, and uh, we'll talk again. Just have about a minute and a half here until the the end of the show. We'll remind you... uh, if you haven't fertilized in the past oh, 60 days or 90 days or so, you can fertilize even in the heat. Your organic products from uh, Medina, Mushroom, Nature's Creation, totally safe to use in the heat. And uh, plants really do need the nutrition. I also love the liquid products like the Grow plant and the liquid fish blend for things you're growing in pots, including vegetables and things. But this heat is pretty extreme, pretty hard on gardeners. But there are an awful lot of plants, both in flowers and in vegetables that uh, don't mind the heat at all. If you're planting, consider pentas, consider periwinkles, uh, consider angelonia. Those are all wonderful things for the uh, sunnier areas. Uh, in the shade, you can go still plant uh, impatiens and coleus and begonias. There's just no excuse to have a drab yard. Out of the vegetable area, go ahead and get your seeds started uh, especially immediately if you're going to plant more tomatoes and peppers. We'll be talking about planting those out just in about two weeks. But uh, your coal family plants, your broccoli, your cauliflower, things like that, we'll be planting those toward the end of August. So you may want to go ahead and get your little transplant started there. Uh, if your bush beans are planting out or playing out, plant another row of those. Same things goes for your squash and cucumbers. 